Did you want to do the intro or me? Sure. I think I did it last um, time. Do you want to do it? I don't even remember what we said. Um, Hello and welcome to I Could Make That, a podcast about creativity. I'm Ann Kilzer. And I'm Ashley Sellers. And yeah, episode two. We're finally doing episode two. Thanks for your patience. We're getting this thing off the ground. I think today's episode we wanted to talk about creativity and getting unstuck. Especially people that do art as a hobby and maybe not their... I think either one. It, whether you're a full-time artist or you're trying to fit in creativity in between your day job and your obligations, getting that creative juice flowing, it's a real... It can be tricky and it can be something that we can lose sight of. So that's the focus of today's episode is getting unstuck. I think one important thing to touch on today is how Instagram culture has changed our perception of art and uh, what it takes to produce a good piece of art. People on Instagram, artists on Instagram, come out with um, these images that are perfect and they look like they were made perfect. So it influences this perception of artists um, that everything artists do is perfect and completely original and um, they didn't have to struggle with technique or ideas and everything that they do is just ready to show. I think one thing to be mindful of as an artist is that um, we all have bad art, we all make stuff that we don't want to show other people and that's totally okay. Your art can just be for you. So some of what we're going to talk about today Um, are projects that really are, you know, you can show people, but they're really focused on reconnecting with um, your internal language and not Instagrams or Pinterests. Although we are going to talk about project ideas from Pinterest, so there you go. Yeah, it completely omits that creative process of refinement that Mm -hmm. goes from concept sketch to final output. And I think it's great that we have all this inspiration and, and, you know, sharing of different, you know, outputs. Um, It's really cool to see all the different artists and be able to follow, but you do get this sense of very polished. I mean, even even if it's just a person's life, the, the self that you portray through Instagram is the high points, the travel, the fine dining, you know, the cute selfies. It's not... It's a, it's an interesting projection of the self, and it's very carefully curated. Mm-hmm. So there's good sides, but there's also this side of it looks like everyone's living this perfect life, and well, we we're all works in progress. Yeah, I don't do Instagram for that mm-hmm. reason, but um, when I did, I felt my mindset about art changing and I felt um, myself getting meaner about my own art. Um, I think comparative thinking when it comes to artistry can be only useful insofar as you're thinking about how that artist relates back to your own aesthetic and your own sense of language and symbolism um, and finding a way that you can bring those elements into your art without necessarily being derivative. Anything beyond that is useless. 
um, when people have the ability to curate themselves so intensely, that's not the experience that you're having when you're actually creating. You're, you don't have that option. So um, I think that we have these really intense expectations of what we're going to produce and when it's not perfect and when we can't show other people, we don't consider it part of our process or our journey. Um, I know journey is kind of a cliche thing to say, but um, we consider it bad and that's it's bullshit it's just not true you made me think of something interesting um yeah you said that you know well and that's striving to be perfect actual creativity you have to be kind of vulnerable and you have to be open to making mistakes and if you focus on perfection you probably won't let yourself you probably self-edit so much that you won't make any progress or you'll just stop altogether because you're not there yet. But really being creative, you kind of have to open yourself up to failure a little bit mm-hmm. and then be able to re- find and learn from that. If you really let yourself go, you can do a lot of great things, but you're going to make a lot of mediocre things and then you're mm-hmm. going to make something great. So yeah. yeah, I think getting unstuck, you have to really tap into this vulnerability I guess no totally that makes a lot of sense and I think you touched on something when you said self-editing because I think that creating a piece whatever it is it's a conversation with yourself about um, where you want to go next and what you want to do um, what's really speaking to you and I think that that self-editing gets conflated with that but they're two totally different processes self-editing is censorship and it's um trying to call and control your behaviors um to be aligned with with expectations that are probably unrealistic whereas um enjoying the process is more about talking to yourself and self-discovery um really thinking about where you're taking things and allowing allowing your art to kind of unfold like we're not saying that you can't like I often go into projects with kind of a specific idea in mind and I do get frustrated if it doesn't start to fulfill that image but it's definitely been a process like learning how to let go of that end product and just enjoy the process one thing for me that's been really helpful is art journaling because if I don't like it I can just turn the page and move on Mm -hmm as far as my art's concerned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I don't like something, I just turn the page and maybe later I'll come back to it and make it pretty. Hmm, cool. Another thing that's coming to mind uh, when you're talking about the self-editing and the self-judgment, I took a class last year with, it's an online course with Jane Dunnewald. She's a fiber artist in San Antonio and has a lot of great online courses. One was called Creative Strength Training. And one of the prompts was to talk about dismantling the committee, which she meant there's the reason you have those self edits in your head is maybe personalities that you've sort of absorbed like hey was your dad overbearing or was your art teacher really dismissive of your work and have you soaked in that judgment and now you feel like your creativity is sort of stifled by these figures that you've not really the person because it's not the person that's telling you don't do it but it's your perception and and memory of them so she was like, you know, listen to those self-critical voices. Who are they? Where did they come from? Did they come from specific figures in your life? Did they come from yourself? And be able to name it and then try and let it go and dismiss those people because they're not helping you make art. They're helping you stop. 
and pause. And so, like, when I was in college, I had a lot of trouble doing creative writing. I had a creative writing class, and it was challenging for me because I was so... My dad taught me a lot of grammar, and that was really great and helpful, but he it also made me afraid to write a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then I had to uh, learn for creative writing to just go and just write, and then I could come back and fix those mistakes later. So, yeah, my dad, you know, he's been a big influence in my life, and he's a very creative person too, but he's also very rigorous and precise, and so I had to kind of say, hey, I I can come back to that later, and I can still appreciate my father, but I can also say, like, right now I need to be creative, and I have this impression of him that's not really truly him either, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the really valuable thing I learned in my creative writing class was just put a pen down a paper and just keep writing. Just write everything (laughs) you think and then come back and heavily edit. And I was at a place where it was just so hard. It would Mm -hmm. just take me hours to write anything. And the output would be good, but I I really freed up myself Mm -hmm. to write more and to create more. And it's just like, yeah, 20 minutes, just put a pen to paper and just go. And then you can always come back and polish it. You don't have to share it, but I was able to let so much more out by dismantling the committee. That was a helpful prompt. That sounds interesting. Um, Yeah, I think that Instagram people can get caught up in that committee as well. Like, we can Mm -hmm. absorb them like, oh, what would would big Instagram star with the perfect Copic sketches do? And it, like, it doesn't fucking matter what they would do. Like, what would you do? What do you feel like doing? What feels good to you in this moment? Um, I think it's so hard to reconnect with that part of ourselves that's, like, really calling the shots and, like, really communicating with... um, different parts of our our personality Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and there's probably like a million blog posts about what you should be doing as an instagram seo optimization optimizer and it's just kind of i'm gonna roll my eyes up i mean there are helpful tips but there's no one pattern to success Mm -hmm. people are trying to formulate like this is how you become a youtube star over it if it's not if it's not authentic not going to sell so it's got to come from your heart it's got to be genuine you can't I don't know some of these things just organically happen but I I think keys to success are just be consistent and we're going to talk about how to get consistent with art in this episode with your arts or crafts or creativity making room and time for art Mm -hmm. every day and you know then be authentic and, and be yourself and I guess find what what you have that no one else has and be good at that. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so one thing that we wanted to talk about today are daily projects like the 365 days of creativity hashtag on Twitter. Is that where it is? Um, it's all over social media. Mm. There's a number of 365 day projects. The 365 day project I chose was to create 365 days of surface patterns. And I decided that because of some of the jobs I was working at, I couldn't do it consecutively, but I would finish the project and ultimately create 365 patterns. It spanned over a couple years for me, but I'm at, I think I'm in the 250s now. That's a really important point. You can adapt um, daily challenges to suit whatever your needs are. You don't have to do um, I think that we should focus on like making art every day in some capacity, but if you don't have time to knock out like um, you know a full piece of art per day, um, 
I don't think there's anything wrong with stretching it out or even um, scaling it back. Like, what do you have trouble with in your art? I like to focus on portraits. So I recently did a um, 30 days of of portrait um, thing for just for myself. I didn't put it anywhere. Um, And then I did another one, but this time I gave myself the constraint that I had to do it within 15 minutes. And then... Hmm. I did um, an additional challenge in that same one where I did it with restricted materials. I could only use uh, three colors of the same exact art material. Um, so I think that you can make it as broad or narrow in scope as you want it to be, whatever really suits you and your particular challenges and your needs. Yeah, what I've adapted it to now is I do a little project that I'm calling 90 Days of Creativity where I just try to do 90 day stints of doing some, touching some art project every day. Whether it's doing a full drawing and coloring it, to weaving, to maybe just winding some of my yarns up so that I'm ready to dye the next day. I just have D-Y-E. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, ready to dye. <laughs> D-Y-E, yeah. Ready to do my fabric dyeing. Um, yeah, just touching it a little bit gets momentum and I'm able to build up more. And then I come back and I regularly do do surface pattern designs, but because they often involve Illustrator and kind of multiple steps, it's just easier to break them into parts. And I'm still working towards that goal, and I always have the, wow, I made 250 things, that's pretty awesome. So, but I think a regular cadence and at least touching something creative every day is important. Mm-hmm. I had been doing these life coaching workshops with this guy named Kyle Cease. Online I'd been watching them and he was encouraging people to kind of make change in their lives by said make a commitment to yourself to do something for 90 days and so I started doing 90 days of creativity I'm going to touch an art project every day but it might be a different one because my mood changes and some days I want to do embroidery and some days I want to draw and some days I just want to maybe wind up some yarn and do something more manual but it's all part of my creative goal Mm -hmm. and that's okay to have multiple outputs uh, just as long as being consistent with it has really allowed me to feel more in control, my mood's a lot better, and I feel like my artist self is really coming back. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that um, you touched upon something when you said creative goals. I think even if you're not necessarily producing something every single day, I think if it if what you're doing or what you decide to do for your um, 90 days of creativity, a specific day, is somehow working toward a creative goal that you have, Mm -hmm. um, even if it's a really small step in that goal and you can only devote five minutes to it, um, I think that no matter what it is, we're kind of, that's honoring your creative intention. Mm -hmm. So I like that. And there's a lot of research that's going to say that the real way to get momentum on things or to, to accomplish something is to break it down into small parts. All these apps are coming out uh, for self-improvement and they're all about micro habits. They're all about doing small things. Like you don't have to think, oh, I've got to get in shape and I've got to start an exercise regimen. Some apps are just like, can you do five minutes of exercise this morning? Yeah. Great job. It's a very self-care. It's a uh, very millennial, but you know, I think self-care is important and I think our generation is using science and research to better ourselves in small incremental ways, but that's the way you build habits. You don't say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go run a mile today. You start 
walking and then you start running and maybe you run around the block and then you keep adding and those incremental habits it, I mean it, it's been working for me I'm getting up at bed out of bed before nine finally and wow I'm actually making my bed for the first time <laughs> in my life I oh my god like I still don't do that I'm adulting pretty hard that's intense <laughs> I went to the eye doctor yesterday. I felt like that was, like, the pinnacle of adulthood because I hadn't been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm impressed by your level of adulting right now. Yeah, and I use this app to keep track of build these patterns. What's the app again? There's a couple apps I use. One is called The Fabulous Sphere, and it's about building patterns, um, building habits. So, you know, it's all centered around exercise. So it tries to get you to exercise every day, but it asks for you to exercise for eight minutes, Mm -hmm. which is pretty easy to fit in because honestly you can do anything from moving around your house Mm -hmm. if you're having a bad day to walking around the block to running or doing something, you know, high cardio. It's really accessible to people in different walks of life, different experiences. And I definitely have a habit in there to do art every day, Mm -hmm. to study my Japanese. You know, the little goals that I'm working on. And just adding that has been really helpful. The thing that's getting me out of bed is another app called Coach.me where I've hired a person, an online assistant, to hold me accountable to getting up out of bed in the morning. Interesting. It's like $65 a month, and she sends me some tips. But my sleep schedule... I think in March, April was kind of wrecked after daylight mm-hmm. savings time. And now I'm, I'm going to bed before 1130 most days and I'm getting up around 830. Nice. And most days I'm, I'm pretty good about that and I feel a lot better and I'm coming to work on time and it, it just feels like more things are in control, things are falling into alignment. But it's just that slow buildup of patterns. And art is one of those those habits. I guess should say slow buildup of habits and art is one of those habits. Yeah, you know, um, kind of slightly off track, but I noticed the biggest difference in my depression once I was able to get my sleeping um, schedule under control, and helping my depression really helped um, me jump into back into creativity and mm-hmm. artistry. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a little bit about like the myths behind like the depressed artist or mm-hmm. the insomniac artist, um, and I think that. While there is some truth to those myths, you do not have to be, and you can be totally non-insomniac, mm. not depressed to be an artist. Yeah. It doesn't; those things don't inherently make you better or more interesting as an mm. artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to what you were saying about the habits, another good way to implement a habit is to group habits together. Yeah. So, for example, I know that I um, every night floss and that's adulting right there I floss every night no matter what um floss and then brush um and I know that I'm going to do those things no matter what and then after I'm going to get into bed I'm going to apply my perfume my nighttime perfume very Mm -hmm. ritualistic and then I'm going to read for about an hour um so I could fit something else into that block somewhere um maybe um, I want to look at uh, my French studies on Duolingo, or I want to do some brain exercises. Um, I can fit in five minutes of those between, you know, well, probably not the flossing and brushing, but any of those other steps. And there I have that inbuilt time, um, and I'm kind of sandwiching it between things that I know that I'm already doing. Um, 
if yeah. I do that enough, it probably will will stick. I've that's the method that I use, and it has worked for me. But your mileage may vary. Oh no, I, I've heard about habit stacking too. That's the that's what, what it is. Yeah. I just kept thinking of sandwiches. You know, I'm kind of hungry. One works well. Sandwiches makes me hungry, but it's about having an anchor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these apps use the habit stacking pattern that you have a specific alarm, and you say, "Look, okay, this is your exercise routine," but on it, you're gonna pin stretching, and we're gonna pin, you know, taking some deep breaths and drinking water. Or in your getting out of, getting up in the morning routine, you have an anchor, which is your replacement habit. So instead of just trying to get out of bed, which is something you don't want to do, the first thing you do is have a glass of water. Mm-hmm. So you put a, I put a water bottle by my bedside, and then in the morning it says drink water, and I can focus on that instead of oh I don't want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll, I'll let myself snooze no longer than 20 minutes, but, but I'll have that water, and then it, it just kicks off the sequence where, mm-hmm. okay, it's water, take my morning vitamin, get out of bed, you know, go wash my face, stand on the scale, um, do a little exercise, make my bed, you know, brush, you know, brush my teeth, all that stuff, and pretty soon it's just a routine that you're just doing... I sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not even looking at the app anymore. I go back to fill it in, but it's just a routine now. And that that's good. Having that anchor is really important because yeah. you can pin other things to it and you can build more habits. Yeah. Now, I don't think it's a great idea to try to do habit stacking with a bunch of brand new habits. I would always recommend pinning them, like you said, to something. You start with like one or two. Yeah, you start so with you one start or with two. Like, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to drink water. And you put and it on something exercise. that you're already doing. If the the anchor is something that's already a habit for you mm-hmm. and it makes it a lot easier and you regularly check back in and you say which of these am i not doing because if if you're for weeks if you're oh just is that going, part of the app yeah it oh, asks okay. you like every uh week to every sunday it asks you to do a little ritual where you do some deep breathing and meditation and then you go back and it says go clear out any habits you're not doing because I think if you get used to skipping over them, you're not mm-hmm. really taking it seriously. And if they're not working for you, that's fine. Yeah. Like, hey, I really found that I didn't want to, let's see, I didn't want to have breakfast first thing in the morning because I have breakfast when I go to work. So I, mm-hmm. I moved the breakfast habit to 10.30 when I'm more likely to eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. Rather that makes than sense. skipping past it at 8. Yeah. So instead of letting all of these um, skipped habits uh, pile up, you look back on them and assess why they aren't working for you see if you can make any changes mm-hmm. and fit them in somewhere else and if not get rid of them it's no big deal right it's honestly like alerts fatigue if you have habits that you're if you have reminders for habits you're not doing and I'm oh yeah borrowing from software engineering mm-hmm. and basically site reliability engineering which is my day job again but it's the same as if you were a fireman or something and you got a lot of false calls you would just start ignoring them yeah and so it's called alerts fatigue, and it's a real thing. So you want your reminders to be helpful and actionable. Mm-hmm. And if they're not working for you, that's fine. But maybe consider why and consider let it going, letting go of them. Also consider this a reminder to go through your phone um, and turn off any notifications that do not directly serve your purpose and yeah. your daily tasks. Um, because be so alerts fatigue is real. It is a real thing. And we can be so interrupt-driven with 
and that can really kind of get in the way of your creativity. So we actually kind of internalize these um, patterns of interruption and we will self-interrupt if we don't have mm. anything else there. Mm. Um, so that was an interesting thing to observe about myself. I'm trying to get into like a single tasking kind of mindset yeah. where I have to focus. And one thing that has been really um, helpful for me and that is um, doodling. And I think that we're actually oh, nice. going to be talking about Zentangle a little bit as one of our creativity options for uh, inspiring and reconnecting with the self. Yeah, and it's not something I'm an expert in. But I've never we were, done it. We were brainstorming about creative systems and ways to inspire creativity, and it's definitely one I've seen at a mm-hmm. lot of art stores. And it seems like a simple concept, like doing a small doodle mm-hmm. every day. And it seems like a meditative act. And I, I read a little bit on their website about what they did. And it sounds like a woman started doing it to relax. And then her friend thought, oh, this is really meditative. We should create a system for this to help other people reach this meditative state. And that's awesome. Um, that's great that, you know, people can do simple it seems like little small squares of paper where you do, and yeah, please correct me, Zentangle experts, but it looks like they're taking a small square of paper and doing a little doodle in black and white. Well, some people get uh, more, well, I guess, I guess the word that I'm looking for here is um, composition-y. <laughs> people make actual compositions out of things that they can build Zentangle into. Like oh, I've cool. yeah, I've seen um like I was just looking online at, at Zentangles right now and I saw one that was like an ice cream cone and the swirls um were built out of little Zentangles and the texture in the waffle cone or whatever was built out of little things. Mm-hmm. So I think that Zentangle can actually be um a really interesting artistic choice mm-hmm. for not only meditating and doodling and kind of reconnecting with just the present moment, but also, and bear in mind, I've never done it, but just in looking at um, other people's art, um, Zentangling looks like a good way to learn values mm-hmm. um, using only black and white, um, learning depth, um, learning uh, perspective. I've seen some really trippy Zentangles where uh, just by altering the um, spacing of lines, you're creating depth and perspective in your nice. art. Yeah. Um, another good thing that Zentangle helps teach people is texture. Mm-hmm. Um, how making different marks on a page can result in creating different textures. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those are really important practices that can help um, in, you know, more of like, I guess, what some people might call a fine art practice mm-hmm. or like more specific types of drawings that have more of an end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zentangle looks pretty freeform like that, but I have seen um, some people making specific compositions and then building Zentangle into the textures and patterns. Nice. Yeah. So it's kind of helping you cultivate your own drawing style, mm-hmm. it seems. Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, just the practice of making those little decisions like while you're going and getting comfortable making marks is something that you can take back to a lot of art practices for sure. Awesome. It reminds me a little bit of a practice that we both participate in, Sayori weaving, which is really about cultivating creativity and we should do a guest op- episode with our teacher. That would be really cool, I think, to talk more deeply about the Sayori philosophy. But basically, it's a Japanese style of weaving invented by a woman named Misao Jo. 
and she was an ikebana teacher which is a Japanese style of floral arrangement and really wanted to cultivate creativity in her students. And she did that for a while, but then she decided at age 57 to teach weaving. And she and, and her son Kenzo created these looms that are very easy to use, very simple. Um, they have basically two rows of threads in the warp, which is the lengthwise piece, and students the beginning level students, you just create the weft, which is the back and forth. So you just pick out threads, wind them on a shuttle, go back and forth. You can add in extra bits of thread, bits of roving cloth. It's like painting with fabric. Yeah, it's super easy. It's very accessible to anyone of any skill level. That's what's beautiful about it. You just go and you sit down at, at the, um, oh my God, the loom, jeez. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's what I love about it is you go in, you sit down at the loom, and with the help of your instructor, you're painting with fabric within five minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, um, for lack of a better word, pretty zen. Yeah, yeah. I think it is very meditative. Um, that's something I really like about it is you can pick a lot of color and texture and fiber. and. I sort of joke with Laura, my teacher, about it, but I, I kind of check out. I pick the colors I want, I go, but I just kind of try and let go, which is why I'm bad at, at yarn management, because I <laughs> I maybe check out a little too much. You don't want to check out when you're doing yarn management, because that's how you get giant knots. <laughs> <laughs> or broken threads. <laughs> or broken threads. But no, I'm, I'm getting better at it. Uh, but it's been really nice, and so at the beginning level, you start with a pre-made warp, and it's just ready to go anyone can do it no no art experience required um, at the more advanced level you can make your own warp and pick your own colors and there's a lot of fun techniques I've been doing it for about a year and I've even visited the head studio in Japan so I've met Misao and um, it's a really cool art and it's helped me explore a new side of textile arts and and I really like it a lot and I've invited a lot of friends to come try it and Ashley I was one of them. Yep. And I love it. it. One thing I love about Sayori is um, seeing how different everyone's pieces are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, personality really comes through, mm -hmm. I think, in, in Sayori. There's a couple key philosophies of Sayori, and it differs a lot from traditional weaving, which I think we'll go into some of those later. I'd love to interview mm -hmm. Laura. Yeah, that'd be great. For an episode. But one of the key principles of Sayori is to consider the difference between uh, handmade and machine made is that we're not trying to make a perfect bit of cloth here we're trying to make something authentic and human and when Misao was first creating this art she was making obi sashes which are wide belts often worn with kimono Japanese clothing and she was bringing them to stores and people would be like oh well this thread is this thread is wrong or this thread is falling out and she saw that as the inherent beauty, while other people saw that as, oh, this is a mistake. So she really thought, this is cool that it's handmade and unique, and that's something I want to cultivate. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make machine-made. I'm trying to make something that looks human-made. Right. So while a lot of traditional weavers often want to get very precise patterns, very thing tightly controlled, mm -hmm. this differs highly from traditional weaving. Yeah. From what I've seen about the philosophy, it's really about cultivating something human 
and unique and one of a kind. The next principle of story is to be bold and adventurous, which mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with the more mathematical and precise mm-hmm. um, forms of weaving, but I think that the principles of Sayori are a little antithetic to mm-hmm. them. I think it's it's kind of a different mindset mm-hmm. where um, whatever you want goes, mm-hmm. and um, with Sayori you have the freedom to express that. So, but yeah, I think we should have a, a longer episode on Sayori, maybe just we could even do a series of episodes on weaving and sayori. Yeah, and fiber there's a arts. lot to talk about, and I think getting Laura to talk about it will be great because she's really the expert. She's been doing it for years. I've been doing it a year, and I've dabbled in it, but I have a lot to learn. And, yeah, there's there's a lot more there that we're maybe simplifying. Uh, now, I will say that if you are interested in weaving... Um, and maybe it's not in the budget for you right now. There are some inexpensive ways to start weaving. Like you could make a loom out of um, embroidery hoops, hmm. uh, which is something that I did with just like cotton crochet thread and embroidery hmm. hoops. And I I had a lot of fun doing it. Cool. Um, it's a good introductory to weaving. It's not as exact as what you'd get on mm-hmm. an actual loom, but it's really fun. Um, so if you look up how to warp a um, an embroidery hoop, you will find those instructions and you can get started with that if you just kind of want to test it out. Cool. Yeah, the other nice thing about Sayori is that you just can go to a studio and do it for a day. You can just try it. You don't have to buy a loom. Yeah, that is wonderful. You pay for the studio time and then you pay for the cost of materials, which is usually $3 an ounce. It's pretty reasonable. Yeah, the cost of the actual initial lesson varies from studio to studio. Um, I believe all studio owners um, had to train in Osaka, right? I don't know. I think that's true, but we can talk to Laura about it. There's a certification board, Yeah, but I don't know if... I I think some of them travel around Japan. Yeah. But they definitely do need training to be an official Sayori studio. Right. But there's a lot of different types of fiber arts out there. This is just one. Really, it's a philosophy. And there are certified Sayori studios that adhere to this philosophy. But yeah, it's it's a system that's helped a lot with my creativity. And I really like it. I like to share it with other people because I think it's very accessible from the experienced artist to the complete beginner who's just looking for more creativity. Um, going back to doodling a little bit, um, one thing we glossed over um, that I think is closer to Zentangle than mm. Sayori. Um, well, actually, it does share a lot in common with um, Sayori. Um, adult coloring books. Yeah. Um, with Sayori, you have uh, the warp and the loom, and you put the colors and the fiber down. So it is actually kind of similar to adult coloring books where the lines are all there and you bring um, you know, colored pencils or crayons and you, um, you can do whatever you want within that framework. I've noticed when I've gone to buy nice colored pencils that a lot of art stores are completely sold out of Prismacolors and high-end colored pencils yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's the adult coloring book craze. It is. I actually read an article saying that there was a colored pencil shortage because of the adult coloring book craze. But I think it's it's okay. People are buying some pretty expensive pencils, but hey, if if that gets people into doing something creative, that's great. I can't knock that. I just want please stock more Prismacolor because I think it's oh Molly. yeah, Molly. Molly. I'm sorry. I Molly's just got sick. licked in the mouth by a dog, <laughs> so which I think is legal in Texas. 
Down. <laughs> Down. Anne doesn't like dogs that much. I, I like yeah. dogs. I just don't like nobody it when they wants, like me on the lips. Nobody wants your... Nobody wants If it's lips. any consolation, she has not eaten any rabbit poop today. Oh, even better. <laughs> even better. I just went to first base with a dog. Uh, let, let me try to get back in the creative spirit. I'm going to describe a theory that I have about art that I kind of formulated when I was an art student. When I was an art student, I was at Gonzaga, which is not necessarily a fine arts... Well, I'm not going to discount it. I was at Gonzaga, and it was a Bachelor of Arts program, so maybe slightly different than a BFA, but still, I think, a really good program. And I noticed that the setup was very foundational, that as a freshman, I'd come into classes that were like, this is the specific prompt. You're going to draw a paper bag. We're going to draw paper bags for weeks, and then we're going to draw more complicated things. And we're going to do assignments in design where we just focus on values. And we don't actually get to create our own work yet. You're just going to be copying imagery, but you're going to be playing with the values. And at first I was like, well, this isn't super creative. I have to do exactly what they're telling me. But over time I began to appreciate that I could, well, I think if my art teacher had just told me on day one of art school, go make art, I probably just would have recreated the little doodles that I made in high school. And I think because they gave specific, specific prompts that allowed you to have creativity, but it was kind of set along a path. Like if you think of creativity as this infinite space that you can explore, if you don't have a direction, it can be almost overwhelming. But if you're given a little bit of a, a push, then you can really start exploring and then you can get more comfortable taking that first step. So some of the prompts would be like, animal vegetable mineral, animal vegetable mineral, which is draw one of those things, pick any of them, or self-portrait, or self-portrait as a still life. And by the time we got to the th senior thesis exhibit, now it's like, okay, well, do anything you want. Have it be on a cohesive theme so it's a body of work, but now we were really entrusted to have all this creativity, but we had cultivated those skills and that really helped. And so that's why a lot of what we're gonna talk in this episode is about creative prompts. And I think that having that the, those prompts, like the 365 day project where you're given a do something with water, that gives you that little push that can help you really be creative. So that's my, theory on creativity is that early in the process you need a little bit of constraint before you can really be free. It sounds somewhat counterintuitive but it's my theory. It makes sense. I think also a little bit of what you're talking about is um, being taught technique. Mm -hmm. uh, when a teacher is explaining values to you and you're doing a, a prompt on values, it's not just a creative prompt designed to constrain you, it's actually intended to teach you a technique yeah. that's important to taking back to your overall art practice. Um, the same can be said of uh, teaching composition or line work or really, really any of those um, basic structures of drawing. Uh, one thing I like to do with art classes, um, Craftsy and Skillshare are both great, but um, I also like to hunt down art teachers who have a style yeah. that I really enjoy. Um, and maybe it's not even my style at all, but is um, 
A technique I want to learn, like I rarely use acrylics, so I like to hunt down teachers who do mixed media and acrylic work Mm -hmm. because it expands my repertoire. Um, And a lot of these are, I think, pretty reasonably priced. Um, They definitely vary. Um, We can make a list of some of our, our favorite online art classes. Mine definitely run the gamut between you know, folk art and art journaling to um, structural art and um, urban planning or urban drawing, plain air. Um, <laughs> um, okay, that's it for um, art Oh, classes. I actually have a couple that I'd like to okay. name. We could put them on our blog too, but yeah, Jane Dunnawald's classes are all on her personal site. They're not on Skillshare or some other. And, you know, the, they can keep more of the profits and they can really curate the experience. Mm-hmm. But it was great. I took a color theory class with her in addition to the creative strength training. And it was, she mailed you a kit of different color swatches and a stencils of color wheels. And then you had to buy a certain set of supplies. And then you followed along the videos and you did the exercises. What is her name? Jane Dunnawald. Oh, Okay. And another artist I've taken classes with, her name's Linda Hines, and she teaches ice dyeing. And I had already been doing ice dyeing, but she helped me really refine it. And it was it was thirty dollars. It was wow. really good deal. Yeah. And then you're part of this Facebook group, which is optional, but you can share your creations with your fellow students, and that's it's just really nice to be networking with other mm-hmm. artists, whether it's face to face or online having a class to share your work and kind of inspire each other, it's, it's really helpful. That's really cool. Uh, one thing we can do is put up a blog post of all of our favorite online art teachers, mm-hmm. and we'd love to have a conversation with y'all about who your favorites are and why you like them so much. Mm-hmm. I think another thing we can just touch on is there seem to be more and more things where the people will like, I guess the thing now is everything comes in a box, whether it's <coughs> your Amazon, food to your murder mystery to whatever whatever you want <laughs> things come in boxes razors everything's coming in a box and some people are mailing around craft kits and I honestly haven't tried these um, I've tried sketchbox oh really that's it though. I would love it if we it might be fun to try them if anyone's giving out um, <laughs> these for trial for review we will we'll review we're, we're the hell out shells. of your no boxes. I think we do it we'd want to do honestly but we'd um yeah, I think it's really an interesting thing, and it's exciting to have kits. You know, I've seen some that are like embroidery sets where they've done the design and they print it in on the fabric and they pick out the colors, and it's just up to you to actually make the creation. And I think that's really great to help people get exactly what they need and yeah, make a really cool project. Definitely so. fits with our um, our idea of constraints. Um, I do also follow some YouTubers who do get. Um, some of these kits um like sketchbox um and they will make art that uses only those those um the pieces that they receive in the box Mm -hmm. so that can be interesting for learning about how to use um art supplies that you may not be familiar with cool what was the last one oh pinterest i think that idea incubation is really underrated Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of what we've talked about so far is um, based on getting ideas and either putting them to paper or putting them into production. Um, I think one of my methods can be really useful for people who um, have something that they want to express or not quite sure what to do with it. Um, 
I go to Pinterest and um, I start curating my art. I mm-hmm. have um, folders or boards, I guess, for different artists. And what I do is find three images that I can pull from and create something new from. Hmm. I might take the composition of one. Like, I really like where all of the main items in this piece are laid out. Um, I might take a color palette from another one. Um, and I might take different mark shapes or textures from another one. And yeah. I pull all of these different elements into a piece that I create. It doesn't even have to be a huge elaborate piece. It can be as simple as me sitting down with those specific colors, um, learning how to mix them with my own paints, and just making marks on a piece of paper. It can really just, I think, um, get you out of your normal practice. It, can, it, can, it definitely helps me get unstuck at times. Cool. I think we could probably devote an entire episode to Pinterest because it's such an interesting tool, but I think that's a really cool way that you use it. How I often use it is in the brainstorming phase where I I know I want to make a costume or I want to make a piece of art, Mm -hmm. but I don't quite have the direction, Mm -hmm. and I'll use it to gather imagery like, oh, I want to draw something around a picnic. Okay, let me go collect a bunch of images of picnics Mm -hmm. and see, am I going to pull out ants or am I going to pull out wine and cheese. You mm-hmm. know, I did this service pattern design through a Skillshare class and one of the first instructional ideas was go find some imagery and curate it. Mm-hmm. And Pinterest is a really good tool for making inspiration boards, uh, color boards, mm-hmm. if you're trying to pull, make color palettes yep. or, or pull things out of a certain color. Yeah, there's just a lot of really cool things there. That's also exactly how I use it, in addition to the three image thing. Uh Um, Yeah, if I'm wanting to draw something, like say, like recently I was wanting to uh, make a painting with a moon in it. So I went through my Pinterest boards and I found all of the images of moons and I put them in their own board Mm -hmm. and I looked at them and it's a really great way to think critically about how the imagery you're seeing relates back to your own preferences. So like, what do I like about all of these pieces? What do they have in common besides just a moon? Mm-hmm. Is there any imagery that's being repeated? What kind of mood am I seeing throughout the pieces? Mm-hmm. Um, are there separate moods that I can bring together that I think all together really express what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and figure out how I can take all of that and transmute it into something that's that's me. Cool. Yeah. That I think it? we should wrap up um, because we've got a ton of material here. Um, Okay, so, um, hold on. (laughs) So, um, I hope that we've given you a few ideas um, that you can take back to your own art practice to either help you get unstuck or help you figure out a direction. Um, If anything that we've talked about today has really struck a chord with you, we would love to hear it um, at hashtag I could make that on Twitter. We'll also get our blog post up by the time this is up, and we'd love to have a conversation with you there as well. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Check out our blog. It's, I could make that at wordpress.com. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And we wish you luck, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We don't have a sign-off tagline.